have you missed football? Uh, not one teeny tiny little bit. Traitor, traitor, that's not allowed. I know, it's outrageous. It happens every summer. I think watch so much football during the course of the season and then watch pretty much every game during the European Championships. I was just completely footballed out and delighted for a break and I absolutely loved the Olympic Games. So that was a, a wonderful, I was going to say methadone to the heroine of football, but it was all better than that. It was like some healthy living alternative to taking any kind of drugs at all. It, it, it felt weirdly clean. Anyway, yeah, no, but now I'm starting to get excited about the prospect of a new season and being back on the rank cast is a big reason for that. Very good. It's, it's one of those um, weird bandwagons that seems to have started that uh, the Olympics was all Corinthian spirit, or should I say Olympic spirit, and that was all that was good and, and football is all that is evil and we need to get back into a cynical mindset. Uh, do, do you buy into that one wholeheartedly? No, in fact, I've made a sort of pre-season resolution with myself whereby I'm just going to be positive and optimistic about football which is not to say I'm not going to acknowledge the things that are wrong about United which are plentiful but I'm just generally going to try and maintain a sunny disposition throughout the season whatever come what may last season my resolution was not to get too frustrated with Nani and I, I think I su- succeeded in that just about so this season it's it's not to get frustrated at all really and just to be a bit more Corinthian spirited about the whole winning and losing of football you know right I mean I, I know it's not everyone's approach and, and nor should it be but obviously I mean the, the idea that the Olympics is somehow this wonderful sporting ideal is is illusory but it does have some things going for it in terms of like general cleanliness that football's missing and, and one of those is just it was, it was quite a unifying thing in a way that football's very sort of divisive there was there was a sort of a generally positive nice vibe around the fact that the Olympics were here and Britain did incredibly well like better than I ever dreamed would happen in my lifetime and and people didn't seem to be too nasty about it there was a sort of general kind of like oh that's nice everyone's here in the country and we're winning lots of medals and also other people are winning medals and that's nice too you know and Great Britain smashed the Aussies completely in the medals table so that always helps (laughs) well quite yes just Um, just to pick some random country to hate on there yeah 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 we also completely smashed out of Mongolia as well you know take that you Mongolians who are ya who are ya who are ya well Mongolia Where's your Genghis Khan? Where's your Genghis Khan? Yes, completely random. So, on to the summer of football, because there's actually been quite a lot happening, really, around Manchester United, even though there hasn't been very many games, has there? So, should we we talk transfers? There's been a couple. I mean, they do exist. Manchester United opening the checkbook and paying actual cash money for players. I don't believe that such a thing is possible. But no, we've, we signed two players so far, Nick Powell and Kagawa Shinji. I, I, I did some research, by which I mean I asked my Twitter followers what the deal was. And Shinji, Kagawa is his surname, his family name. Shinji is what we would call a first name, but in Japan you present them reversed. So surname first, Kagawa Shinji. But we'll be calling him Shinji Kagawa on this show, probably, I would imagine. I should imagine. We'll we'll revert to, well, it's multiculturalism, isn't it? You know, we, we bring in all these diverse countries and then we make them do it our way. That's that's multiculturalism, isn't it? I'm not sure you totally got that there, Ed. Oh, I'm, I'm in the, uh, you know, the Tory camp here now. Let's, let's not get back to that one. So, and yes, Shinji Kagawa, uh, a, a fine signing, I think. I mean, 
uh, there was uh, many rumours that we were going to sign him before the end of the season, of course, and eventually the deal was done at about £12 million, rising to more than 17 depending on bonuses. Nice bit of negotiation about what the bonuses should be, whether they should be on Kagawa's performances and success, which is what Borussia Dortmund apparently demanded, or on Manchester United's success, which is what apparently what Manchester United demanded, which is, it might give you a little bit of insight into uh, the thinking around the club there. But I would say on the early evidence and it is very early evidence of his performances in United yet he'll be a a real crowd pleaser and a fine signing yeah I mean we discussed it at some length on the Eurocast but I think a wonderful signing and and really excited we've had a a question from at office underscore monkey asking uh, who what our biggest hope for the season is uh, and a question from at beautifully red asking which player are you most looking forward to see play this seeing play this season and you know for me Kagawa is the answer to that second question and it's sort of partly the answer to the first question that he'll be really exciting and effective signing and the idea of Kagawa cleverly Nani Valencia Welbeck Rooney all sort of linking up you know, obviously not all in the team at the same time unless we're 3-0 down with 10 minutes to go. But linking up around the edge of the area, loads of little one-twos and dynamic, incisive running, that, that could be really fun to watch. It, it could be very fun to, to watch. And he's a different kind of player than Manchester United have signed in the past. So, And I think that is exciting. I think when you talk about hopes and, and stuff for the new season and what might be exciting, you, you tend to focus on the, the new players that have come in, don't you? Because it's something different. And, and I think there will be a lot of focus on Kagawa. Well, uh, I, think, I think maybe when we talk about some of the transfer rumours it might be interesting to think about where Kagawa might fit into the side because I have to say when I'd seen him before I've always thought of Kagawa as as a player that really does only play one role and that's uh, it's a very loose role but it's a a role that's kind of in the hole a free player between midfield and and the attack and that's essentially where he's played in in uh, in pre-season when he's when he's turned out for Fergie's side Uh, but there there might you know this might change if United sign a a particular player from down south it'll be interesting to see where he fits into that but look I totally agree with you I think it's really exciting I'm not convinced he's the world's greatest player but uh, that's not really the point I think uh, he's a fine signing I think the fans are going to love him he's uh, he's all about the team ethic and he's got something very different and and it should you know it should be a very exciting acquisition for United I mean we've been crying out for a signing like this for some time I mean not exclusively but a a creative attacking midfielder you know that's that's something we've wanted for a long time right and and uh, you, you know you wait ages and two come along at once because that's essentially what Nick Powell is as well. I know, I know he played for Crew up front a lot of the time, but he, he's looked like a player with loads of flexibility at all in, in the few games he's had pre-season, whether, whether with the first team squad or he, he also played with the reserves at Peterborough, didn't he? And yeah, Nick Powell's an interesting signing. I mean, first of all, it must be said, the man wears a cardigan, which is always to be encouraged. Uh, I think cardigan wearers at Man United, um, this is a good thing. But obviously, unless you've watched... A lot of lower league football, there's an unknown quantity uh, to a signing like that. Yep. Presumably there are people in our listenership who've watched a decent amount of Crew Alexandra or, or lower league football in England in general. But I, I, I'm totally ignorant about it and, and I've never really seen him play. But whenever Fergie rates a young player, it's always exciting. It's always a, a gamble, but it's always exciting too. Yes, and, and look, I don't think anyone's expecting him to break into the first team and make a huge difference to United's push on you know, multiple fronts this season. There'll be some time in which he's allowed to bed in. Uh, you know, league 
League Two standards not hugely high, is it? So um, he'll, I suspect he'll spend much of the first half of the season with the reserves, and we see where we go from there. You know, it's up to him really. He's he's 18. If if he proves to be even better than we think, then then he'll be fast tracked into the first team squad. Yeah, I mean, from pre-season, what what do you reckon the chances of that are? I, I think they're minimal. I think he'll he'll play most of the first sort of four or five months with the reserves, and we'll see where we go from there. All right, interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where we go from there talking of where we go from here we should make it very clear that we're this episode comes out on friday uh, but we're recording it on tuesday and the reason the chronology is important is because there's a lot of transfer rumors up in the air at the moment and the big one that's occupying everyone's attention is obviously whether or not we're going to sign the chilean henriquez that's what you meant from down south isn't it south, south america yeah, absolutely. The the Chilean lad uh, is one that has been on uh, the radar for United for years. I mean, literally years. He's he's come and trained with uh, United at Carrington for three seasons in a row now. So I think that one's a done deal. A weird uh, story in the Daily Mail, is that right? Or it was in the Mirror, actually, about him possibly joining City. But uh, I wonder whether someone's just uh, prompting that one along and trying to make United make the final decision about uh, acquiring that player sooner rather than later. So I, I suspect that one's done. But of course... The rumour that won't go away is Robin Van Persie. A very interesting one, isn't it? Um, because on the face of it, you'd say he's not really a player we actually need. Fine, fine player though he is. You know, a double player of the year last season, top goal scorer and, and an outstanding season for Arsenal. First of all, I should say that today is officially Robin Van Persie Day. Last, last summer, there was a day for me which was officially Wesley Schneider Day. And it was the day when I believed the deal might happen. And today is the day when I believe the Robin Van Persie deal might happen. Happen. Now we know what happened in the Schneider case. I've been extremely sceptical of this, the the timing of it in terms of season ticket renewals and all that kind of nonsense. But it's and and just the idea that to me there's almost like a more likely sequence, which is the player uses United to leverage a move to Juventus or something like that. But it's just it won't go away, will it? It doesn't seem like it's just paper talk, does it? I mean, Fergie said they put in a bid, which he never does that. That was that was really weird, right? As I said, I'm not entirely convinced he's a player we need. Of course, you know, so that would be to ignore the fact that he's an absolutely fantastic player and, of course, would be a fantastic addition to United's squad. Do I believe it's entirely real just yet? Not sure about that. Do, do Even if you believe it's entirely real, do you believe that United will push from the bid which is, uh, seems to be, according to the you know smart observers, below 15 million to somewhere much above that for a player who's just about to turn 29 and has a very checkered injury record so it'd be it'd be one that's completely out of character with United's transfer strategy over the last seven years I don't remember the last time United bought anyone of that age for huge money yeah, and so this is you know slightly odd I wonder if this if it's real uh, I wonder whether United's interest wasn't driven by the fact that he's out of contract and uh, someone thought that it might be done for a reasonable amount of money thinking about that transfer strategy you'd have to wonder why exactly it is that United didn't spend on certain players in certain positions for so many years and then would spend what is what does it look like over 20 million pounds on a on a forward when there's already seven on the books yeah 29 year old forward as you say with a terrible injury record i mean obviously incredibly talented player and one of the things about those injuries is there's a potential that he hasn't exhausted himself in quite the way that other 29 year olds would have done and and there was a certain kind of peak to his season last season where he looked better than he's ever looked it's incredibly kind of in some ways it's just a very exciting prospect 
the idea of just us randomly buying Van Persie. It's like a Tottenham Hotspur signing or something, you know? It's just like, oh, let's just buy this good player for no other reason than he's a really good player. Like when Newcastle signed Damien Duff, you know, they didn't really... It's not the player they needed, but it's it's just he's available. There's a sort of circumstances converging, but it hasn't really gone smoothly, the transfer. It's been being talked about for a month or so. There's all sorts of different valuations. 22.5 million is the number that keeps doing the rounds today. Uh, as as the transfer fee I don't know what kind of negotiations around wages there would be I mean presumably he would be on really level wages because he would perceive himself at that level yep yeah, and and uh, and a long-term contract for a, for an old player so I think essentially we'd be talking about an investment in the in the uh, 50 million to 70 million range depending how long the the contract is uh, interesting interesting to throw that much money at a player who uh, factually has only scored more than 20 goals once in his career right yeah right uh, in the I... league in the league so you know totals he's he's done it uh, you know three times or something like that but but yeah look so so on the one hand you can say absolutely fantastic player pivotal to Arsenal last season scores goals drops deep he's an all-round player you know lovely feet he's he's left footed he's different from what United have got so you, you say that on the one hand on the negatives side you'd say he's getting old he's injury prone he's too similar to Rooney in that he does like to drop deep it'll have a big effect on on uh, whether Kagawa plays much or in fact where Kagawa plays because he might end up playing on the wing is it the right balance of player that we need would we be running into the same problem we had with Berbatov where Ferguson couldn't decide where each player plays would we be forced into playing a straight 4-4-2 when uh, it's quite patently obvious that we don't have the midfield resources to do that and and all of these kind of questions so it, and it's weird thinking about that because you know again he's a fantastic player and you have to be a player of the very top bracket to score 30 league goals which is what he did last season but there are a whole stack of questions about that transfer as well at Julio underscore G asks another crucial question about this and, and owns the fact that well, it's us getting ahead of ourselves a bit to even discuss this but what would his arrival mean for the development of Danny Welbeck and that's one of the really serious concerns I would have about Van Persie coming Doran asked us at the back end of last season do, you know do United need to sign a fourth striker and we both agreed that they, they kind of do but I'm not sure either of us thought they need to sign a first or second striker we just seem very well stocked in the really top end strikers range and really poorly stocked elsewhere yeah I I mean for me if if, if we're talking Rooney Hernandez Welbeck and and you know another Van Persie then of course it's it's a hugely talented bunch but two of those aren't going to be playing very much. Not to mention the fact that Dimitar Berbatov's still a Manchester United player. So we've kind of got the fourth striker still because we still haven't managed to find anyone who will take, take him off our hands. I, I don't understand how it's possible that that's the case. No, the club's looking for quite a large fee, I would suggest. I think Berbatov gave this one away when he when he said, uh, I've heard they're asking £10 million. OK, so it's not that Berbatov's asking for to, for his wages to be maintained necessarily at the same I, level. I, I mean, it, it doesn't strike me as particularly Berbatov-like uh, to do that, does it? I mean, I think he'll be looking for the right move. Of course, I mean, you know, he's fabulously wealthy. Anyway, it uh, doesn't seem like he's a player who's always uh, knocked on the transfer door for a huge pay rise. Now, I, now I, think, I think it's the same as... 
was with Thomas Cusack and Darren Gibson last summer. United are looking for the maximum fee they can possibly get out of this, but the, their hand could be forced. So if, if Berbatov's still around in January, they they don't get the option of renewing for another year. So it's a, a case of taking what fee you can get, uh, or letting him leave for nothing next summer and and having him sit on the bench do nothing all season. I mean, th- this stuff never happens, but there's a tremendous amount of logic in making him part of a Van Persie deal. I mean, I'd, I'd hate to see Berbatov play for another English team because uh, it would be heartbreaking, although the plus factor would be get to see him every week. But it sort of makes sense for Arsenal if they're going to lose Van Persie. Berbatov would be an interesting uh, fit in that team. As you said, that stuff never happened. So, yeah, yeah. L- l- let's throw that one away. I, I think that's uh, probably not realistic. So, at Matthew Abri asks the straightforward question that we've kind of been discussing, but to just, just get your take on it, is Van Persie a good buy, or would you rather see that money spent in different areas of the team? Look, this is not a zero-sum game, necessarily. It's not necessarily an either-or, although, of course, with the Glazers, they there's, there's almost certainly a limited amount of budget. Although, interestingly, and we'll get onto the IPO, they did tell investors that 40 million net would be spent this summer. So, if it's an either-or question, I'd rather that money was spent on a central midfielder, given United's attacking resources, which are still pretty significant, aren't they? If it's not an either-or, if there's unlimited amounts of money because, uh, you know, Uncle Malka's had another stroke and suddenly decided that it's not profit he's after, but, you know, a fantastic team, then, yeah, sure, buy Van Persie and then buy a, a midfielder too. Yeah, I mean, for for me, I I don't understand not just the the financial resources that the Van Persie deal takes up, but the sheer amount of mind share at the club that a deal like that must be occupying uh, in terms of atten- the boss's attention. I mean, he he seems to have put an awful lot into the Van Persie transfer. Maybe not. Maybe it's just uh, the perception of it from reading paper talk about it. And really, he just made a phone call to Arsene Wenger and said, you know, or well, he got David Gill to make a phone call to someone and say, can we have this lad? And they said only for this much money and United said nah, probably not then um, isn't that called negotiations well yeah exactly but maybe that doesn't take up a huge amount of energy but it does seem to me like there's no transfer impetus anywhere else at United this this summer uh, the, the one other deal that was floated for a long time and United were a big part of the story the transfer of Lucas Mora a 19 year old who's gone to Paris Saint-Germain for an astonishing amount of money, 45.5 million euros, I believe, is the reported amount. I've seen huge variation in what he's being paid wages from literally, I've seen 250k a week and 250k a month cited, which are obviously fairly significantly different sums. But United never never felt like they were really close to that one, to me. Again, being the ultra-cynic here, I didn't believe that one was real from the start. I I don't think United were ever in that bidding, seriously. From, From the few conversations I've had with some Brazilian based friends they suggested that the offer was in the low 20s of millions of euros so I think again maybe United's interest was real maybe they thought it was like a Hernandez thing where they could get a young player on a decent amount uh, thinking of United, United spending uh, upwards of 30 million euros on a young player uh, just didn't buy that that was ever going to happen it seemed yeah, logical to me that that was the bidding given that there were several interested parties so yeah, funny thing is of course you know and this is a bit debate that went around on Twitter a few years ago United would have spent that kind of money uh, remember when Wayne Rooney came in and United uh, agreed uh, well then it was uh, in excess of 30 million pounds with all the add-ons and it was wrapped up into a 27 million pound fee in total and, and so that kind of sparks the question if the next Wayne Rooney came along now and I don't know whether Lucas Moura is or not I have to say I've barely ever seen him I've seen him come off the subs bench for the Brazilian Olympic side and that's it but if the next Wayne Rooney was to come along today would United be 
able to buy him. And the suggestion, I think quite loudly, is no. I, I always think about this when, when a young player goes for a lot of money because you and I had an MSN conversation. This is how long ago it was. We had a, with a, an MSN instant message conversation, like it was the early 2000s, uh, which it was, uh, where you said, of course, the club is so well run, that's why we can spend £30 million on a teenager. Uh, tragically, that has very much proven not to have lasted the decade uh, since that happened or the seven years since that happened and now we're kind of really financially terribly run and we can't afford to do stuff like that and Ferguson came out and said it's just crazy they're spending 45.5 million euros on on a player and I I was I, I was on Twitter and said very much the, the same sort of thing of like how can he say that he did exactly that and lots of people kind of come back at me and said well Rooney was proven in the Premier League and like no Rooney had looked good in the Premier League you, you not proven in the Premier League at that age uh, he was already an international and it's like yeah yeah all, the, all those things are true but the fact is Fergie didn't say it's crazy to spend this much on this 19 year old he said it's crazy to spend that much on a 19 year old. Rooney had played like 50 odd games for Everton before joining us. Moro's played 50 odd games for Sao Paulo. Uh, Rooney had had a few caps for England. Moro's got 15 caps for the full Brazilian side. Uh, I know he was, he was playing in the Olympic side uh, this summer and didn't even play that much so it's not like they're out of bounds. Uh, I OK, so Mora's not been playing in the Premier League, but since when has Ferguson prioritised that? Right? If he thinks it's a talent he's after, he's, it's a talent he's after, right? So I, I'm not convinced that that's a valid argument. Point being, United used to spend that money on young players if they wanted to. Now they won't. They're looking for young players you know, with sell-on value and, and young players below a certain bracket of, of total fee. And, and the other interesting point, uh, well, I thought it was interesting, and maybe people disagree, but I think the other interesting point is, of course, you know, in those eight years, there's inflation you could, at retail price inflation average of you know four percent a year or whatever it is uh, that really fee looks even bigger it starts to creep up to to similar levels if you actually take football inflation into account so you know what is what the what's the average price rises in the football market and, and methodologies accepted right there's some challenges you can make to the transfer price index uh, scoring system in in terms of how they calculate average inflation and stuff like that but it's one way of doing it they calculate that Rooney's value in terms of football inflation would be over 60 million now right so so that's just taking into account how much the market has been overheated and you know Ferguson's used that word himself yeah no absolutely and but I think I just think the fact that we never really felt in that deal well there were some prominent friend of Fergie type journalists mentioning no names of people that have blocked you on Twitter who were saying that you know he was on his way from medical and all that sort of thing and it was it was a very real deal and I just don't, I don't understand the way the, the media is handled at United I, I, I don't get it I've I found Ferguson's talk about it incredibly painfully disingenuous. That that Moura thing is a classic example of, of, of the disingenuousness that Fergie's prepared to put out there. You know, when he said I think forty five million four point five million euros for that nineteen year old's crazy, I don't I don't think he's necessarily even aware of, of how similar that is to the Rooney deal. But if he thought about it he would be, you know. And it's just it's just horrible to see him back the glazes to the hill, defend United's dealings in the transfer market and, and you know the great thing for him is he can always say yeah look how many league titles we've won in the last five years or six years we got to the Champions League final three times won it once we're doing brilliantly none of that covers up the fact that we're hugely underperforming in the transfer market given United's uh, resources uh, when you remove debt from the equation then United as uh, as Andy Green uh, from the Anders Red blog said United should be the biggest swinging financial dicks around and and uh, quite clearly the club is not so um, that, that kind of 
covers why that's happening. I think I, I think that's a nice segue into some financials. Should we should we talk IPO and yeah, and the the dark day that was uh, the New York Stock Exchange on Friday. We we've got some questions about that. The first from at Can They Score? How many shares did the rant cast buy in the IPO? Well, none because uh, I'm a savvy investor and I, I wouldn't put my money into this at all. I think I'd rather put my money into a casino and uh, just have a gamble because that's exactly what you'd be doing with it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't get it, Ed. Explain what's happened, how it's happened. You said it wouldn't have happened by now, but it has. I actually think since uh, they got kicked out of Hong Kong and kicked out of Singapore and, and quite clearly didn't get the investor excitement about this IPO that they thought they were going to get, I thought it probably wouldn't happen by now. But they, they push it through, so the bare bones are they've sold about 16.7 million shares, uh, half of which was sold by the selling shareholders, which is the Glazer family, and half of which was sold by the club itself. Uh, and that's about 10% of the club, the total number of shares uh, in the club. Uh, so they were sold, priced eventually at $14 each in, in the prospectus that was launched earlier this summer. United was looking for a range between 16 and 20, so already they've got a significant uh, number um, price, significantly lower price than they'd hoped for for each of those shares, and, and obviously that's affected the amount of revenue. So um, in the end, they uh, raised about $233 million, half of which went directly into the Glazer family's bank account and and half of which will be used to pay down debt uh, after co- the costs of the uh, IPO are taken into account that costs about 12 million plus some uh, some other fees and stuff like that so it looks like about 60 million pounds not dollars pounds will come off the total debt and the total debt was put in the prospectus at 437 million so uh, it will save United about 5 million pounds a year-ish in, in interest on that bond although of course because, because interest uh, you can write that off against tax uh, the actual figure will be more like 4 million-ish post-tax in saving. And because the IPO has cost about $12 million, so you know, call that 8 and a bit million pounds, uh, uh, again, Andy Green calculated it's going to take United over two years just to break even on the costs of the IPO in the first place. Well, meanwhile, the Glazer family put 110 and a bit million dollars into their bank account on Friday. I just don't even know what to say, you know what I mean? It's so horrible that you just, I just can't find... Because there's so much misinformation and so much... Understandably, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it is because it's fairly complex financial matters and you know you just see United sell shares for X amount of money and people think oh great we can buy some players but it's this is about raising personal wealth for the Glazer family. The anger is is there because in the first iteration of the prospectus, uh, it very clearly said that all monies raised will be used to pay down debt. So effectively, all the shares that were being issued would be issued by the club, and they changed that around so uh, they could. Uh, and I assume this was strategy all along. I assume they weren't just suddenly deciding to do this. Um, but uh, you know, in the second iteration of the prospectus, the amendment prospectus, they decided to take all this cash out. And the, the word on the street is that they need it because they're the US businesses are failing plus they've got this huge pile of debt we believe that was taken out to pay off the pick loans the famous pick loans or infamous should i say and that's probably about 400 million dollars so they probably need the money you know and and here's the theory if there were covenants attached to those uh, pick loans about performance or those uh, sorry second round of loans probably hedge fund based and they were similar to the covenants attached to the first set then uh, then maybe united didn't meet those covenants in terms of financial performance 
jumped and the interest rate went up hence the hence the decision to to list now much in the same way that uh, when the old pick lines went from 14 to 16 and a half percent interest the glazer family decided to go to the market with bonds they they've decided to go to the market with shares this time so um, again it's it's all financial engineering uh, based solely around the glazer, glazer family's uh, own personal needs wants and desires and and nothing at all to to do with benefiting the club and and i have to say this is deeply deeply frustrating not only because you know they, they've lied and it's all about them because you know they've done that all along but because there are still people out there still united fans out there that, that somehow think this was a good thing this is a good thing and then somehow it was you know they were doing a good thing for the club by paying down some debt and hey you know i've i've, I've heard uh, a lot of apologies for the strategy you look they're the owners they can do what they want well yes yes they are the owners and they can do what they want but also there's quite a lot of fans who believe that uh, there should be some kind of alignment between the supporters and the owners and of course you know maybe that's a pipe dream maybe that's a pipe dream but but there's you know that doesn't mean that we can't be angry about what's happened because i think it was pretty dark then and of course of course uh, in in this found out that on april the 30th the day that manchester city with their all their wealth were beating united in what proved to be a, a absolutely pivotal match at eastlands was the day that united were was effectively registered in the cayman islands and and uh, there's layers and layers of holding companies in between but united's ultimate company is now based in the super secretive tax haven of Grand Cayman. Yeah, which means you have to go there to do your research. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Well, yes. I mean, I suppose if you want to buy buy a share and uh, head off to the AGM, of course, if the Glazers decide to hold one because they're, 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 they're not obliged to by the SEC because they're listed as an emerging growth company. It was interesting for a 134-year-old company whose revenues fell 5% last year. It's really painful talking about this stuff because there's that sense of complete impotence and, and inability to do anything about it i've seen a lot of a lot of anger and a lot of kind of you know what can we do a sense and but but people are never willing to say well not 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 everyone but the collective is never willing to say turn your back on manchester united you know don't go to matches don't buy shirts some people some people will not buy merchandise some people are will write letters saying they won't support the sponsors it's kind of a shame that everyone that feels strongly about united doesn't just write to audi and say while you continue to support manchester united i'll i'll never buy an audi as long as I live sort of thing mm. well of course I mean um, the, the supporters trust uh, arranged for that kind of thing to happen so they had two parts of that one was to write to bankers and investors and, and they set out a template which you could use or you could write your own message and, and behind that behind that engine was a whole bunch of people who are potential investors and the second was to write to sponsors so a million people did that yeah so it's not it's not like this was a small movement of course it, it might not have a significant impact yet we don't we don't know but but i think we can see from the amount the sheer amount of negative press has been generated by this ipo not just in the, the football press n- not just from united blogs but in the financial analysts press which are almost universally negative about this ipo and a negative not just in terms of this is a bad investment but this is a bad management decision right and and when the wall street uh, journal and, and publications like it and market watch in particular i'm thinking here say that it's not only about a poor investment for in, just from the pure investment cycle but also about the the type of management that is behind this company and they're critical of that that tells you something and uh, i think there is a momentum behind that of course it doesn't mean that suddenly we're about to 
get rid of the glazers. They're completely entrenched here. The, uh, as we mentioned, uh, we've talked about this before, the, the voting rights associated with the Class A shares that were issued to the market um, is, is uh, one-tenth of the voting rights of the Class B shares, which were retained by the Glazer family. And so they've managed to keep, um, and of course they sold some of their shares, but they managed to keep an over 98% voting control. And even if they sold more than 50%, uh, in fact, they could sell even more than that within the covenants of those that share sale they were always going to retain 67% control so so effectively they can make decisions about this company forever without being accountable to anyone until they sell so I've got a few questions uh, uh, which I'll try and remember what they all are and take them one at a time and the first question is why would any investor invest in this IPO it seems like it was overpriced the company is misclassified under the IPO very clearly the growth potential is inherently limited because it's commercialized pretty much as far as it will go to breaking point and there's no evidence that success on the pitch is in an upward trend and also it's a company run by people whose sole interest is to make as much personal wealth out of the company as possible okay so I'll tell you why because uh, it's a low level IPO 233 million dollars raised it's almost nothing it won't be the pros as in it won't be the serious uh, uh, fund managers that are looking at certain targets that will do this it, it will be a level down from that where they're looking at potentially taking a punt on a long-term growth opportunity and that this is the pitch from the Glazer family it's a long-term growth opportunity if you buy that one fine you know and uh, and there will be some fan driven you know and fan in the loose sense the kind of you know what, what should we call them follower driven purchases as well there'll be some minor level stuff although you know not not significant so um, but it's not a big punt right if, if you've got even a tiny fund chucking five or ten million pounds dollars at this it's not much right so I, I would think there's very low level risk associated with it from the kind of macro sense right the big pile of cash that any one single fund will put into this um, I don't think there'll be an awful lot and you know even if it tanks then they're not going to lose the whole size of the fund and and so that's de-risked in, in a certain sense it's trading on the secondary market it's uh, it's, it's all of that kind of stuff and I, I've seen lots of you know, comparisons with Facebook and that might happen maybe, maybe the the stock will tank I mean it's trading at very low volumes or we two days into it uh, so there's not an awful which you'd expect given the profile that you just laid out of right. like long-term investment right right and you know so look we'll see right this will play out over a few weeks most analysts say that it's still overpriced so uh, if that turns out to be true there'll be a correction but but we you know we'll see over a few weeks uh, the thing is of course the glazers got already got what they wanted which was a, a chunk of cash now if it does tank as the analysts are saying that might have a an, a, you know, an impact on what happens next and the way it's structured is is almost certainly the glazers want to sell off more at some point point down the line realize a bit more capital out of this they probably need the capital uh, and uh, so the the stock price will determine at what point they sell i mean when you're in a leverage buyout you do sell eventually and and all the talk of uh, the glazers being in it for the long term is 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 uh, and ha- always has been nonsense because the only way they'll actually realize some value on the capital is to sell the club or they have to start giving away dividends of course but united don't make enough money to give away dividends because hey, if they're going to do that then they have to pay down all the debt and quite 
quite often debt is cheaper than equity so i think what what they'll do is they'll they'll realize the capital from the company by selling it off and the share price will determine at the speed they do that so the higher the share price the quicker they'll sell well the more motivation there is uh, of course the lower the share price uh, the more correction the market has given to their assumptions about what united is worth uh, and also uh, it might be more difficult for them to go back to the market and get more cash if they really need it so if the rumors are true about them desperately needing the cash because their other empire parts of their business empire is failing if the motivation is there to sell and the stock price isn't very high they might just decide to get rid of the whole thing and that's a difficult calculation actually because given the amount of debt united have got and the amount of debt they took on when the the pick loans are paid off uh, they probably need to sell for like a billion pounds just to break even on it and and uh, it's not valued much more than that at the moment so you know there you go i didn't quite follow it but i'm going to listen back to the show and assume that i'll get it second time around with reports today that the if ipo shares drop as low as five dollars the glazers will look to sell the club if yeah so i read that i read that piece i read that piece in the independent and i actually think that's incorrect okay I, it's, this is a, this is a twitter question from at johnny b007 it's got a follow-up part saying even if that's the case realistically who could afford to buy us especially without landing us in the same position or worse like in a, a malaga sort of situation R- right okay so the, there's a lot of speculation in that question so the first part if the if the share price drops to five dollars which was uh, what privco they're a private company research company in the states that well fairly well respected said actually morningstar even better known analysis firm said about ten dollars was a fair rate so even between those things um the independent piece i think basically just reading between the lines didn't understand the difference between uh, yeah, kind of enterprise value and stock price market capitalization so they got that bit confused because they got all their numbers wrong about the value of the company so if the glazers did sell at that rate and i'm not sure they would depends on the how desperate they were the the sale price would be the market cap plus the debt effectively and probably some kind of premium it's there's always a premium on the private sale so that would be the sale price and that would still be well over a billion dollars so really sovereign wealth or oligarch that's that's your only choices at that level or them to or they fl- or they float the whole lot right and and i think from a fan's perspective if if we want to say that actually united can uh, run on its own two feet and, and we'd actually like fans to get involved in this and, and own part of the club and you know over thirty-five thousand fans were actually small shareholders in the last IPO I'd suspect given the nature of the last seven years that you could add a multiple of 10 to that you know maybe even more maybe there'd be a half a million to a million fans who'd buy something right so could could fans have a realistic block of of shares if the Glazers went to the market and said it's a full IPO and it's full voting rights on all the shares and and that might be that you know that's a big opportunity both for the Glazers to, to realize the capital on the asset they own and make a decent price maybe not the the profit profiteering block of profit they want but a good price and a fair price and also for fans to then have a say in the future of the club you know and maybe that's a pipe dream because uh, we don't know exactly what will happen to the stock price but but again there's an opportunity there and that might be the end game for this yeah it'd be nice if it was although of course in a way this situation that we're in is is reaping the cost of becoming more commercial you know the the fact that we privatized in the first place and we became an increasingly commercial enterprise instead of just a football club that was what attracted these nefarious you know profiteers to to get involved in the first place but there's always been nefarious profiteers in football it's just this is a particularly egregious example i basically have no time for the people that defend the glazer ownership i i, I it's got to the point where i feel 
feel about them like I feel about people that vote Tory. Just like, you're just not paying enough attention on whatever it is you're putting into this that makes you believe that A, it's okay to vote Tory, or B, I probably, I probably shouldn't use that as an example because some people probably genuinely do think that's okay. You'll be getting uh, party political hate messages now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's take that out of the equation. If you, if you, if you think the Glazer ownership is good for the club or even okay for the club, you're, you're just not paying close enough attention. And, and the, the incredible short termism of the kind of, well, we haven't got bu- gone bust yet. Well, I don't think we're really going to go bust. The Glazers wouldn't have kind of done the leverage buyout that they did if they, if they thought that the cost of that was going to be complete, like doing a Leeds, you know, that, that doesn't seem to be what's going to happen because as you've said many times, the Glazers business model is based on us being good enough to finish fourth and qualify from the group and the Champions League. It's not based on us competing for the league every season. It's just that if you want United to be the dominant force in English football, then you, you need there to be a different ownership model because Sir Alex is going to retire and all this is going to come home to roost at some point. Yes, you suspect so, don't you? Um, um, quite quite apart from how exactly United will attract a manager with the transfer budget of 20 to 25 million net per season. I don't know. Of course, that, that was promised to investors. So this is not paper talk. This was uh, United's vice chairman, Edward Woodward, during an investor presentation with investors promising them that United would stick to the historical rate of spending in the transfer market. They said 20 to 25 million over the last 15 to 20 years, I think they used the example. Interesting, they didn't use the, the period of the Glazer family ownership there, which of course is a lot less, but but that was a promise. That's why we know that uh, they gave guidance that there would be about 40 million net spend this summer. So uh, a top manager uh, in the market, in the current market, uh, is going to realise that, that there's a limitation to what they can do if, if that's the promised amount of spend per year there's a big huge bet and it's quite clear from the investor roadshow that united are hoping that financial fair play will will uh, cool the market down and they can still run the business model which is around making profit uh, as opposed to a business model that's about uh, maximizing the return on the 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 revenues that a club makes and none of that is about you know success on the pitch is it none of that that's that's doesn't become the prime motivator for all that stuff oh no no the prime motivator is profit yeah. and if success on the pitch helps that then you know then there are lines but but let's let's not make any mistake here about you know, you know the Glazer family wanting to win the Champions League I don't think it makes a, a huge amount of difference to their, their business model if United win the Champions League or don't uh, as long as they go far enough the club goes far enough and and of course things would change if United dropped out but you know we've had those conversations before and, and you know we'll, we'll see what happens there but but again I, I just thought it was a very dark episode for the club over the summer I thought it's uh, it was another case of a wedge being driven between fans and Sir Alex as well uh, with some of his comments about real fans uh, realising that it's made no difference to the club the Glazer ownership and the debt associated with it I, I don't know how I don't even know what a real fan is but I don't know how a real fan could say that more than £500 million having left the club uh, as a result of the business model had made no difference to the club I, I don't know how you make that calculation but anyway it was and and then uh, so that's one dark bit that wedge between the, the fans and Sir Alex I, I think think the way the IPO is conducted is extremely dark. I think the fact that United is now based in the Cayman Islands, purely so the Glazers can conduct their business model in total secret. Uh, I think the, the fact that United is uh, something of a joke uh, in the investor community right now, uh, given the, the coverage that's in the media and the analysts um, about you know, the business model associated with this club. And I think it's all been very, very dark and I don't see it getting better quickly, but but there is some light at the end of the tunnel, which is there, there will be an exit at some point and it's just what that exit is uh, will determine how 
light the end of that tunnel is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's the other light at the end of the tunnel, which I, th- I think is really important to consider, which is that, and I mean this with the greatest kind of sincerity and respect, it's only football. It's like, this is really a thing that loads of people care passionately about. And that that's... That's something which is to be respected and accepted. But, you know, the worst case scenario here is that Manchester United, stolen out from the nose of, uh, stolen out from under the nose of its fans, becomes a less successful football team. And, you know, what that says about society and all that and the way it was done and the kind of, the, the fact that it was so unnecessary and the fact that it happened at the hands of some profiteers is all really unfortunate. But that's the worst case scenario. Yeah, are you trying to say it's only a game? Because, look, we've had this conversation before and we know that's nonsense, so, yeah, anyway. Well, no, it's, except it's really not nonsense. It's not. I'm not just saying like, oh, it's only a game. I'm saying the worst case scenario is that the football team you love and support becomes less successful. There's lots of people in the world that support football teams that have never won anything and get a huge amount out of that. Now, the, the way it's happened is is painful, frustrating, horrible. Use the word dark. That's exactly how I felt about. Specifically, that's how I felt about Fergie when he said that because I, I was just I was basically like heartbroken by that, by the kind of disrespect inherent in that. But basically, the the the, the sheer self-serving lieness of it you know that that's how it felt to me you know it, was, it kind of felt like a betrayal but I'm just saying in, in absolute terms if United become the sixth or seventh best team in England that's that's what's at stake it's you know it's it's not even I mean in a broad sense like the end of the football club is potentially at stake but that's like a long way off you know in any case uh, I think we're in agreement it's it's not a great episode for the club uh, terrible I, uh, so um, we'll see where it goes from here I mean this is the club won't actually make any pronouncements uh, on financials or anything like that there's a time period when they're they're supposed to be quiet and uh, so we, we we probably won't see uh, United saying much about financials for a little while we'll see after that we might not get much information at all because there's a very limited amount they actually have to release now and uh, and because of that perhaps we can talk about football because uh, there, there is actually a new season coming up and it's really exciting like, it's so exciting what an exciting team we've got there, there's a slight there's a couple of problems it, it, here's a few Twitter questions to perhaps indicate some of those slight problems what's our new formation in 12-13 perhaps with a couple of injured defenders no left back or right back backup no central midfield once cleverly and Anderson are injured that's from at Simon T. Graham and then at Davy Macca 99 says looks like Fergie's playing his patented donut formation again this season uh, no midfielders of note have come into the club over the summer at least not ones that can play in the centre circle rather than around the edge of the D but we've still got you know Paul Scholes for another season yes we have although uh, I think uh, <laughs> there was a telling line in one press report when it came to the sort of the end of the tour the globe trotting tour uh, which said Paul Scholes has been given a rest uh, after a, a tiring pre-season I thought oh my god <laughs> it, they needing to rest him already it tells you about the state of our midfielder he'll turn 39 soon 38 sorry and I do a disservice and, and Giggsy 39 right so it's uh, look, there's only so much Paul Scholes he's going to play this season Carrick is the wrong side of 32 we have to hope he desperately hope he stays fit and then, then the rest of it is hope will Darren Fletcher's bowels allow him to play and play seriously and I don't mean in a friendly at Aberdeen will Tom Cleverley stay fit uh, and will he kick on from where we thought he was when he he was fit and um, will Anderson be able to stay fit and and perform at his best I mean you know the last two you'd say uh, history tells you no because Anderson's been injured five seasons in a row and and never been able to put a consistent run together and Tom Cleverley's 
had a bad injury in each of his last four campaigns. Darren Fletcher's barely been fit for well, it seems like a year now, and and he's got a condition that many people say is chronic, and he'll never be able to be the same player again. So essentially, we are back to uh, back to a, a, a you know trio we can rely on in midfield of of Carrick, Skulls, and and Giggs. Can't even put Park <laughs> Ji Sung in there, of course, now because he he's gone. So but it will be interesting, and and that does dictate the formation because the obvious formation that people thought of when Kagawa was signed was a, a four-two. 3-1 with Kagawa as the loose man in that three and 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 two of Nani Valencia and, and Young either side and, and Rooney as the, the kind of front man rather than the deep man now but there's there's a few question marks around that you know in terms of United personnel in that, that two the central midfield and, and what happens with Rooney if for example Van Persie was, was signed so um, I don't think it's quite set yet what United might be doing tactics wise. No it's crazy it's really so up in the air asked by at Avancat 10, do you see us playing a 4-1-3-2, which you, you could potentially see that is incredibly attacking and, and leaves a ridiculous amount of room for Michael Carrick to fill on his own. But, you know, you said there's three that we can rely on in central midfield. I'm not sure when the last time we could rely on Ryan Giggs in central midfield was. There's no chance of that formation. I mean, uh, we're talking what well, we're talking about, Carrick covering the whole of central midfield on his own, which, which of course, is what he does when Anderson plays. No, I'm being cruel. So, harsh. harsh. Hard. Look, United get overrun in midfield playing two in there. Could quite frequently get overrun playing three in there. So uh, I think playing one in there is a recipe for, for complete and total disaster. The, there's a question, do we need a midfield enforcer in the Tiote de Rossi mould or could we play with two or three ball-playing midfielders? I think uh, that's from at my impish grin. It's an excellent Twitter handle. I think there's a couple of things about that. First of all, I think it would be incredibly good if we could buy a, a ball-playing spoiler, you know, a, a, a hard but fair player who knew what to do with the ball at his feet I mean that would just you know Daniele De Rossi is obviously not on the market but but if we could sign Daniele De Rossi I'd be the happiest man alive basically yeah, and not just for the balance of the squad uh, I'm not necessarily saying that this person would play every week I, I think we could do with a real evil bastard in there <laughs> to be honest and uh, I, just because there's there's no one actually Ferguson uh, interesting quotes this summer uh, which which I think you can interpret as United are not going to do this but, but said that um, you don't need a tackler anymore uh, you know look at the way for example Barca or Spain play and and you, and you can and Michael Carrick does a great job which which of course we said you know Michael Carrick did a great job last season I think it's just the balance there you know and he I think uh, increasingly given he's getting on too and the type of player he is he does need some legs alongside him and and so I think you know an all-rounder in the middle there someone you can pass and start start attacks from from a deeper area but cover a lot of ground in the central midfield would be a real asset someone who's evil and and when we need to kick someone because you still do sometimes need to kick someone that that would be a huge bonus for United too I can't see either of them happening now so it will be much the same as we were last year except uh, all a year older (laughs) Barcelona have got Busquets it's just worth saying you know Iniesta and Xavi don't play on their own in the centre do they They, Busquets kicks people and then gives them the ball you know yeah um, I mean mainly he pretends to be kicked and rolls around I mean Busquets look uh, you know you can you can forget that he's actually a fine player too he recycles the ball very well Busquets and yeah yeah sure but we're talking about an all-rounder he he serves that role for them it's you know it's disingenuous for Fergie to say look at the way Barcelona play you know because they 
do it as well I, I just had a question just this minute on Twitter actually from Joel Duffy asking exactly the same thing not original but the state of our central midfield is a must discuss topic and uh, he's right because you know they were kind enough to ask me over at the uh, the Can They Score blog to write up some season predictions um, and one of the questions was what you're most worried about and it's it's, it's just so blatantly obvious that the, the thing that's the most consternating about the state of uh, United squad is that central midfield role and Fergie is once again another summer's gone by where he hasn't addressed the situation he thinks he's got enough resources there he knows what he's talking about he came within a, a millisecond of winning the league last season with the same problem but Paul Scholes looks exhausted by the end of last season and by the end of the season before that he really 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 looked exhausted so you know he was exhausted after six months after having a six month break um, five months after having a six month break what's what's he going to be like just having had the regular break in between the seasons he's not going to play very much I don't know enough about how cleverly will adapt to you know you play cleverly alongside Carrick in my head that's like oh yeah that could definitely work playing a 4-2-3-1 with cleverly and Carrick in there but A it's very lightweight so definitely could get run over but in terms of like playing two ball playing midfielders in that in right in the centre of the park they, they could do the job but only in a 4-2-3-1 you never want that in a in a 4-2-4 uh, 4-4-2 would you? Well well no yeah there's a real risk against some of the top sides that they just wouldn't get enough of the ball no matter how good they are with the ball I mean there's 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 a real risk against a lot of the not so good sides that's the the real problem is actually not how we stack up against the real big boys because you know we've done okay getting by not necessarily being the best in one-to-ones against the big sides in in recent seasons but it's the fact that we get overrun by much lesser teams that, that becomes the real problem well should we do a few quick predictions I, th- I think yeah it's, it's only fair for the season preview podcast that we do a quick uh, roundup of predictions so um, I suppose the big one Paul the big one can United win the league I thought you were going to say league cup then yeah they can of course they can um i I don't think they can be favorites at this stage of the season since you know we did well to get as close as we did we did incredibly well to get as close as we did last season um albeit at the same time we also did really badly to throw it away at the end of last season okay maybe i didn't phrase it properly will we win the league it's predictions time no i'm definitely not going to say that because that's the i have to say the bad words if i say that i think that we are not going to win the league this season I do not feel confident that we're going to win the league that's I I would very 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 much love it if we did win the league but I think that on the balance of all things being equal Vidic it's it's unsure how effective he's going to be able to be we're so reliant on certain key players not getting injured the form of Rooney's a huge doubt who we're going to sign is still very unclear City looked like they were really you know the, the, the incredible momentum they would have taken out of last season they haven't lost any of their big players uh, we haven't signed an alternative to Yaya Toure for us which is what we so badly need I, I just don't see us winning the league this season sadly what about you? No no I, th- I think United will come second and I'm, I'm afraid the uh, the dark neighbours from uh, across the city will be winning it I'm sorry it's a bit negative I know but I don't think Gower makes big enough difference uh, and even given uh, take the positive spin on it United won't get the same level of injuries as last season and, and Kagawa as an extra dimension um, but I also think City probably won't wobble in the way that they did at uh, key stages. Uh, I suspect they'll be slightly more tightly knit units. Uh, what Mancini does with Carlos Tevez is still an open question, but he appears to be happy now-ish. Uh, at least he, he seemed to be that way uh, in pre-season. So uh, I think on balance, uh, City are, are probably just a little bit stronger and strong enough. Uh, what about Europe? Uh, United get out of the groups this time? Is that our ambas- ambition? <laughs> 
yeah, you know, it would be lovely to get to a semi-final and fluke our way to a final. That's 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 my official prediction. Is a ridiculous kind of slightly fluky draw to get to the final because I I do think we stack up pretty well uh, in cup competitions. Once again, you know, I think I think the best of this United side is going to be absolutely wonderful. That's that's what I think about the season ahead. I think when we perform well, it's going to be a complete joy to behold. Loads of goals and brilliant goals at that. So I'm, I'm really excited on that score. And I, and I think a cup competition is definitely a, a better chance of silverware this season. I don't think you know, we're going all the way uh, to the final in the Champions League, but, but I do think that's pretty open competition this season. I, I think Ferguson will clearly take it a lot more seriously. I, I think uh, if he repeated the same mistake of, of uh, assuming United would get out of the group, it would be uh, a huge error. So I think United will t- take it a lot more seriously. And, and I'd expect United to get through a couple of knockout rounds. So I'd say semi-final is my prediction. And what about the, the big competition for the season, the Capital One Cup? Are you a fan of Cock, Paul? What's the Capital One Cup? It, it's the old League Cup. It's what was the Carling Cup. Oh, no, really? It's been sponsored. OK, Capital One are the most evil providers of credit. They like credit cards for people that can't afford credit cards because they get to charge extortionate interest rates to make up for their bets. They're proper, proper baddies. I think we could do well in the League Cup. We always do well in the League Cup sometimes. <laughs> always sometimes, yeah. Well, you know, we might, we might get to see Bebe play. <laughs> I just thought about all the times we didn't. And that's the really exciting thing. And talking of the man himself we have a question from at caddies and young which is if you could give bebe one superpower what would it be crossing <laughs> crossing i'm not sure crossing's a superpower although david beckham makes it into one yeah the, the superpower of set pieces would be one for me no i think clearly the power of flight because then then bebe could do the good we all know he's capable of doing around the world very good i i can't i can't better that talking of talking of super bebe uh, for the first time ever 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 the rank cast curtain raiser is coming with your chance to win a fabulous prize and it really is a fabulous prize i, mean, I want to say for a start everything i'm about to say is true and real none of this is a wind-up none of this is a hilarious practical joke we have to give away a unique exclusive bebe 7 gingham shirt uh, it's it's it looks exactly like a completely legitimate manchester united shirt can't promise you that it is one but it definitely looks and feels exactly like the the, the terrible gig i mean the wonderful gingham for for this season resplendent with bebe 7 antonio valencia may have got the number seven shirt depriving its rightful owner a, a travesty a travesty injustice but right now in my cupboard upstairs unworn is a medium bebe seven shirt the medium is the reason it's unworn and we're giving it away as a competition prize because the good people in the hong kong handling department sent the wrong size out and i look comically ridiculous in a medium framed ed has just agreed to frame and send out the bebe seven shirt so if you want to win this beautiful thing uh, a, a unique collector's item that will unquestionably be worth as much as a Manchester United IPO share offering. You can win this simply by tweeting at UTD Rantcast and at United Rant. Include us both in that. I should win the Bebe 7 shirt because, and then just finish the tweet and we'll pick the one we like the most. If you could use the hashtag Rantcast so we make sure we see it, that would be much appreciated. So that's, you just need to send the at reply to me and Ed, that's at UTD Rantcast and at United Rant. Just with the words, I should win the Bebe 
Bay 7 shirt because, and finish the sentence, and use the hashtag Rantcast. So, so it's creative use of character limits. Uh, just one tweet. If you to cross multiple tweets, it doesn't count. And that's it. That's that's the first ever Rantcast prize. And to, to get you inspired with your creativity, we've had a question from at Man United Youth saying, which Olympic events do you think United players or staff could have got gold in? Ashley Young and Diving, not allowed, too obvious. So first of all, I think that we should say what we haven't said, which is that during the Olympic Games, it became very clear that Rio Ferdinand was going to arrange a trial at Manchester United for Usain Bolt. Uh, So assuming that he, as he inevitably will, gets the gig as a a right winger for United, Usain Bolt, 100 metres, 200 metres and 4 by 100 metres relay. Uh, Apart from that, obviously, Mike Phelan in the dressage. Who would be riding Mike Phelan? (laughs) Yes, yeah, sir. Sir Alex in a top hat telling Mike Phelan to PF. That one's that one's for Trisha because I didn't know what PFing meant, but I've now learned. I reckon uh, Hernandez would be a good archer because he's he's good at getting things on target. Obviously, David de Gea would probably do, do a mean line in handball. Uh, I think I think Anderson would win the freestyle wrestling hands down. Yes, clearly. Rooney in the boxing. Rooney in the boxing. Yeah, as as a young man, he did a bit of that. Nemanja Vidic in the boxing just steps into the ring. The other guy goes, "No, fair enough. You get the medal." And and yeah, so I think I think between them, the United the United team could win some gold. Antonio Valencia could give Bolt a run for his money. I reckon. Yeah, maybe. So we're actually United actually have an actual, real life, actual proper competitive game. It's not in some far flung country, although though Liverpool might feel like it on some occasions. At the weekend, well, actually, I lie. On the Monday night, United are playing Everton at Goodison Park, the opening game of the season. Yeah, nothing better than a Monday night kickoff for the opening game of the season, eh, Ed? Ah, traditions, don't you? love them I mean I think it's very clear from everything we've said that we don't really know how United are going to line up but I'm going to predict De Gea Evra um, Vidic I think it looks like from, from pre-season it looks like Vidic's first choice centre back he's the only fit one so yeah Ferdinand and Vidic in the centre and, and someone at right back and we're not quite sure whether Phil Jones is fit either so uh, there might be a bit of a problem there too we had a really good question from Matt Expertie actually which was about who's going to get the most time at right back this season between Raphael Jones Smalling and Valencia and I, I really do hope it'll be Raphael Raphael, I really do hope he gets it together and has a good season. He, he had a really good Olympics until the final when he had a, a really terrible game, really awful, and also lost his head at the end of it in that in that impetuous way that he does. Look, so it depends on his fitness. So there's a caveat here. He's obviously played quite a lot recently. So uh, is, does that count as his pre-season, which is basically what Ferguson said, uh, or, or is he knackered and needs a break? So if, if it counts as his pre-season, I think he'll start the season at right back because there basically aren't any other choices. And, and then he'll carry on in that position until he makes mistake and then then Ferguson will will drop him unceremoniously as he is wont to do and and then we'll find uh, out how good Antonio Valencia is at right back because there aren't actually many choices there Smalling's out for months and and it's touching on uh, Phil Jones's fitness for the weekend I believe and and Johnny Evans is out for some time too with that ankle knack and I think central midfield we're going to have Cleverly and Anderson together repeating their form of the beginning of last season I don't really think that Carrick and Skulls in the centre of midfield and I don't know Ryan Giggs on the left Left. Valencia on the right. I, I'm kind of depressing myself, but no, I, I'd, I'd love to see that that patented four-two-three-one. But then, then there's a slight downside to that, which is that, um, well, there's a couple of downsides. One, it doesn't leave room in the 
side for Danny Welbeck uh, and two it means Tony V not playing in his best position which is obviously on the right of a four with two strikers to aim at I, I don't know how well Tony V plays in a 4-2-3-1 in a really he certainly plays very wide in that formation yeah I, I, I don't know he's not been tested in that United basically never played exactly like that I mean with a kind of flexible front three or four and and, and so that will be, be a real test for United if United play like that I, I somewhat suspect that Kigawa will not start the season and we'll, we'll see United playing in a more familiar way with perhaps Rooney just playing off Welbeck for the start of the season we'll, we'll see I mean we should do a little prediction for this game shouldn't we I know opening day of the season is almost impossible to predict but uh, just for just for a laugh 2-1 United I reckon very good I think it's going to be a one-all draw I, I'm starting the season on a positive note because you know we know the reverse curse of the rank card is active here so what's the reverse of one-all it's like seven-all or something I think yeah yeah that's right I, 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 th- I think it's, it's an interesting season ahead uh, who do you think you know its top scorer is going to be Rooney and top assist maker Valencia I'm going with Rooney and I'm going to be ridiculous and go with Cleverly as well for that one uh, last season I went for Hernandez to be United's top scorer so sh- I don't really know anything obviously um, uh, who do you think United's player of the season is going to be Rooney okay that's if you're not allowed to say Rooney who do you think United's player of the season is going to be Vidic okay oh, that's a good shout yeah okay I think it might be Carrick again uh, I think he's going to have to be uh, if we're going to get anywhere Messi because he's about to join I've heard that he's at Carrington having a a medical as we speak Van Persie yes or no no oh, of course reverse curse of the rank cast given that we are recording as you said before on Tuesday and this is up on Friday he'll probably signed and scored 17 goals already by the time he's joined yeah Van Persie to get to the winner in the 2-1 is my prediction against Everton the other thing that I think is worth mentioning we mentioned him in, in the, the great shirt giveaway but the boy Bebe he's not had a bad pre-season has he yes yeah, so let, let's put this into some spe- perspective United have played a, a couple of teams in South Africa that are of about League 2 standard a a team in China that was the reserve side of a side that was about League 2 standard a Norwegian side which was maybe League 1 standard and then Barcelona And Hanover, of course. So, uh, look, I can't take any credence from Bebe's performances in pre-season. He didn't look completely useless, which is which is a bonus. You know, he almost looked like he might be a footballer one day when he grows up. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun uh, if he does. And then and then everyone can wear their, their Bebe shirt with pride. You know the United shirts this season. We've had a question from at Saran one eight seven. Do you like them? No, I hate them. Do you like do you hate the away one as well? Because I think they no, uh, the away ones are alright. I quite like the away one. That's it's quite smart. Yeah, the, that uh, tea cloth is embarrassing. Yeah. It's it's really terrible. I uh, first I was like, oh, it's not that bad. But you see it up close. Really talking full-on picnic basket. You know, it's it's just it's a picnic blanket. It's it's a very very strange thing. But yeah, the the, the second the away away strip looks really really classy. Well, very good. We can look very very classy while winning. What did we predict? The 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 cop. <laughs> Um, oh, do you think we're finally going to win the FA Cup this season, Ed? Yes, there we go. Let's be positive. <laughs> I think United are going to win the FA Cup. I think we're going to have a great campaign in the FA Cup. We'll get to the semi-final. We'll be playing Manchester City in the semi-final and Ferguson would decide that he needs to rotate and we'll be playing the reserves in the semi. That's my prediction. But then we'll win that because you just said we were going to win it. So we'll win that game. Our reserves will beat them. Nick Powell will own Yaya Toure in that central midfield berth. There's a song. There's a song. Someone come out with some lyrics. I think that's our show done for the week, isn't it? First 
of the new season. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back up and running. We'll be here every single week uh, through the season, barring international breaks, charting the ups and downs. I'm not expecting United to win everything inside this season, so I'm going to be well philosophical when we lose. So that's a that's a promise to everyone, and and also an apology to everyone for the times I go, oh, you know, it's not that bad. It's only football. But Ed will be there banging the drum for no. Actually, this is really serious. So you know, bit balance. The yin and the yang, as as we like to provide. If you really enjoyed the show and especially actually early in the season incredibly helpful to us if you would be so kind as to write a nice review on iTunes you can tweet at me at UTD Rantcast and at Ed at United Rant and the other thing that you can do is if you want to help us with the running costs of the show then head over to unitedrant.co.uk slash donate and we can be millionaires like the Glazers too oh, or not hooray no it's more 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 in the range of one share than uh, 10 million shares or whatever it is that they sold Ed thanks for your company and listeners will be back same time next week see you then